the show goes on. It's the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes. This will be my second to last solo pod of the year 2021. Thank you, everybody who listens and subscribes to the pod. It's been a record-setting year for us on this front. Please leave a rating and review wherever applicable so that more Marlins fans can find out about what we're doing here to cover the team all year round in our own way on Fish Stripes. On the same feed this past Saturday, we dropped a new edition of the Marlins Decade Draft. It was part of Fish Stripes Unfiltered, Kevin Barral, Isaac Azut, and a special guest, Fish Stripes alum, Arm Layden. The three of them went head-to-head to head, building their best possible rosters for the next 10 years using only players that are in the Miami Marlins organization. Take a listen to that pod to hear the full process. Check out the article version of it on fishstripes.com. That way you can more easily compare them and tell us how you would have done it differently if you were in this position. Go to fishstripes.com. On this show, I am taking a look back at 2021, focusing on huge what-ifs for the Marlins. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. As a guy that's been in content for a while, I know that probably the most effective way to engage people on this pod would be to call it the ranking the top five moments, make it more authoritative that way. And I just think it would be disingenuous to do that. The way that we perceive what ifs, it varies from person to person. It's always, it's a very tantalizing topic to try to uh, unwind the, the web of events that spring from what happened this year, uh, the key inflection points. But I wanted to like set some parameters for what I didn't consider here. I think a lot of us agree in watching sports is that the biggest what ifs we tend to have are injury related. Yeah, for example, in 2021, if Sixto Sanchez doesn't blow out his shoulder at the very end of spring training, days before the start of the regular season, I mean, how different would that be for both the 2021 Marlins as well as for Sixto's entire career trajectory? It'd be huge. What if Jake Eater doesn't blow out his elbow in the middle of the season? Uh, maybe he'd be established as the very best prospect in the organization by now. And you could you could go down the list of all the injuries that every team in baseball had this year. Um, the Marlins were no exception as the year went on. It's just that I, I feel that's ultimately a pointless oh, exercise. Injuries are part of baseball. They're part of all sports, and especially in 2021, almost across the board, every single team had substantial injuries. It's not really an excuse worth looking back on, and hopefully none of the individual injuries that we had 
with the Marlins this year turned out to be like career altering entirely or career ending, I should say, that while it's uh, it's important to remember, you know, the injuries that set the tone for the season in a variety of ways, I think ultimately it's it's not something worth diving into on this pod. I don't think it's a very constructive exercise. I've, and even to a greater extent, the same goes with all the ramifications of COVID. Everybody was affected by COVID, even more so than injuries. COVID is entirely out of the control of the players and the other employees in the Marlins this year. This was an all-encompassing pandemic. So for players that caught COVID, for particular COVID-related rule changes that may have advantaged or disadvantaged the Marlins in, in some way, I, again, I don't think that's worth dwelling on too much. You know, Fingers crossed that the 2022 season is a little bit closer to what we were accustomed to in terms of fan interaction, in terms of player interaction, and all that stuff. For the purposes of this show, I didn't want to focus on any COVID-related what-ifs either way. I also wanted to dismiss what I would call sketchy rumors. Rumors, we love the rumors, uh, all the potential moves that could have been made, right? So I have one of those in here that is a, an entirely reportedly um, thing that didn't happen, that maybe could have happened. I'll get into that in the middle of the show. But for, for most of these you know conversations, these are... They happen in every single front office. It's only doing your due diligence to have as many conversations and exploring as many possibilities as you can and try to get those things done on advantageous terms, right? Um, the, another a particular one to mention, I would say, is before the start of the season, Andrew Benintendi. Remember the Marlins uh, were very interested in Andrew Benintendi before breaking off those talks and going with Adam Duvall instead. So, I mean, that's one that I maybe could have considered, except that, you know, Adam Duvall was, if not as good, if not better, uh, at least as good as an overall player this year than Benintendi was. And he was in the same contractual situation in terms of having one more year of control beyond the season and all that. And, you know, you break it all down, and I don't think that would have moved the needle one way or another. So that's you could call that an honorable mention, the, the what if, if the Marlins had filled out their outfield with Benintendi instead of Duvall. Without further ado, I will get to my five huge what-ifs about the 2021 Marlins. Going in what is essentially chronological order from the start of 2021 to one that happened right near the end of this calendar year. We start with, what if the 2021 season was played with a universal designated hitter? That's an interesting question. It's been talked about a lot. That's an interesting question. Uh, turn back the clock to like January 1st, 2021, and it was a widely held belief that there would be a DH in baseball this year uh, because there was one last year as a result of the deal that was hast it was implemented kind of unilaterally, if I remember correctly, by Commissioner Rob Manfred during the shortened season. It was popular too. It was the first year that the DH had been in the NL uh, ever. For uh, the Marlins, I would say they're one team that definitely benefited from that considering how poorly their pitchers have hit even relative to league norms in recent years and the team had just enough offense in 2020 to break their playoff drought they assembled their roster for this year no doubt with the likelihood with the expectation that there would be a dh there's there's no bones about it the decision to retain jesus aguilar and garrett cooper guys that i'll get into in a moment uh, along with some of the other veterans that they added. They built a relatively old position player core. 
They thought there would be a DH. A lot of teams did. It wasn't really until the middle of spring training that it became evident that, for whatever reason, that the two sides were not going to be able to agree to something that both of them wanted. The two sides being Major League Baseball and the owners and the players' union. With the collective bargaining agreement expiration looming, they kind of kicked the can down the road an extra year. It it speaks to just the the poor relationship between the two sides that something they wanted to renew from the 2020 season didn't get renewed, and it left with us with quite a few consequences of it. Uh, I mean, one that comes to mind is Garrett Cooper. Uh, Cooper, as we move forward with the Marlins, with even more expectation of a DH in 2022 and beyond, Garrett Cooper profiles as a very strong candidate to be the main DH for the Marlins. He's somebody that, when he's been fully healthy uh, for most of his career— during those brief times where he has been, he's been a great hitter, uh, not just in terms of the results, but even some of the underlying data about him indicates that there's even more coming from him at this stage of his career. In the absence of the DH and coming off an amazing spring training Cooper did, he was in this limbo. Jesus Aguilar was more or less the starting first baseman. And uh, the corner outfield spots had more athletic options out there from Duvall to even Lewis Brinson on his last legs that Cooper was in a very uncomfortable role for the most of the year when he was available because of the lack of the DH, specifically because of that. Uh, and as a result, he struggled very badly. I'm not sure if people remember how bad he was. I had to write an entire article about Cooper, how he was one of the worst players in baseball through the first quarter of the season. When you account for both the very uncharacteristic struggles at the plate and also how how much of a negative he was defensively, mainly in uh, right field with occasional work at first base when Aguilar was resting. Yeah, through, I guess if you go through the team's first 40 games of the season, he was barely, he had just climbed back over the 200 batting average mark. He was slugging below 300 a full quarter of the way into the season. Uh, As we know, after that, he caught fire. He turned out to be one of their hottest hitters uh, from there through the rest of the first half of the season until an unfortunate injury. You know, that's an injury-related what-if that we're going to leave alone. Imagine how much better Cooper may have been if he was able to get consistent playing time as a DH early in the season, if he wasn't giving back some value defensively. There was more meat on the bone for the Marlins that they could have nibbled on if they had a DH. They assembled their roster with that in mind, and the lack of it definitely hurt them. One other player specifically impacted by this, Lewin Diaz, when they decided to keep Aguilar and Cooper uh, knowing that both of those guys were primarily first basemen uh, by by trade, that in that Lewin Diaz was going to be close to major league ready, that was all in mind with the DH. Lewin instead, because of that unavailable role to him, you know the idea would be he would take over as first base, and those other guys would be bumped more towards DH. And the Marlins just did not have a logical window to do that for most of the year. Lewin, he got called up, he got sent down, got called up, got sent down. Very frustrating for him as someone that showed pretty early on in the AAA season that he had nothing left to prove in the minors, but there was just not 
any role available to him because this anticipated rule change did not go through the way they intended. It took all the way until September for Lewin to finally get those everyday reps at first base, and he showed some interesting things, but it was not enough of a sample size at all to make you feel confident moving forward into next year and beyond in terms of what role he has. As the Marlins now focus more... Um, more of their resources and more of their energy in being a contending team moving forward, they don't know exactly what they have in Lewin. They know what they have defensively, but he did not get the reps and they, we did not get enough of the data to know exactly what to expect from him offensively moving forward despite all the promise that he has. A second what if about the 2021 Marlins, what if Anthony Bender had made the opening day roster? That's an interesting question. It's been talked about a lot. That's an interesting question. I was smitten with this guy from the very start of Grapefruit League exhibition games. Any way you slice it, he was the most dominant Marlins reliever during spring training games. It's a small sample and all that, but his performance was really, he caught everybody off guard, and it was truly outstanding in that small sample size. He showed um, immediately just a fantastic combination of his sinker and his slider. The movement on those pitches, the velocity on those pitches, the way they complemented each other, the surprising command that he had of those weapons as well. It made it clear that despite coming from out of nowhere, really, coming out of an independent league, having a very mixed track record there and in the upper minors, that he something had clicked for him, that he had figured something out. Bendermania was in full force and it seemed to be a close decision at the very end of spring training as to whether or not they would have room for him on the opening day roster as it turns out you know it was a combination of factors that kept him off um, he did everything in his control to make his case um, the way that the marlins looked at it though is that for one they were fortunate early in spring i don't know if people remember this how fortunate they were on the injury front entering the regular season there was nobody in their of their bullpen candidates that suffered any sort of actual injury during spring training whatsoever they acquired just to give you the names it was anthony bass it was richard blyer it was adam simber john curtis ross detweiler dylan floro yimmy garcia all those guys were ready to go for the start of the regular season that is not common usually this stuff works itself out in this case, they had you know more qualified arms than they knew what to do with. Now, most of these guys had minor league options remaining, including um, candidates on that list, John Curtis and Adam Simber. Both of them had options remaining, and with Curtis, it was a fairly short track record in the big leagues. With Simber, he had been up and down. He was coming off a shaky year in 2020. Ultimately, the holdup here was the Rule 5 draft picks. It was Paul Campbell, who they selected from the Rays, and Zach Pop, who they acquired as a Rule 5 player via trade from the Diamondbacks. And Pop, he was impressive in spring training enough to you know deserve a look going into the regular season. With Campbell, we'd barely seen any of him in spring training at all. When he did pitch, he looked you know fine overall. Um, they were in that interesting spot where... They say, as a team, it was important to put together the best possible roster, but it's hard to justify that based on how little we knew about Campbell at the time, how many other pitchers were next man up, even on the 40-man roster. And then you had somebody like Bender, who, at the very least, showed 
swing and miss potential that really nobody else on that entire bullpen, even some of those veterans with real track records had, that you could see why he would bring a certain amount of value as a complimentary player to this bullpen. And yet, you know, the Marlins, even though Bender did everything that you'd want him to do to show that he was a a new version of himself, he was on the outside looking in, he wouldn't get called up until a full month into the regular season. And in the meantime, that Marlins bullpen, they ranked dead last during the month of April in win probability added, worse than any other bullpen. It started from the very beginning of the season. You, you can focus on the blown saves, but it was not just that. It was blown saves. It was tied games that were screwed up. I mean, the very on opening day, Jimmy Garcia loses out on a scoreless tie when he allows a home run that breaks it up in the top of the, I think it was either the eighth inning or the ninth inning of that game. That puts Marlins, uh, you know, behind pace in in their race to be a relevant team. That there was so much of that during the early portion of the season. There was that famous hit by pitch controversy in New York with Anthony Bass. But you know, people need to recognize how much Bass was struggling in that game. Even prior to that, it was his famous blown save also on um, against the Rays during that opening series. You you slice it all together. And the Marlins bullpen was terrible at the start of the year. It was one reason why it became a meme of sorts about how they were underperforming their run differential. That their run differential said this is a competitive team, much improved in 2020. The record did not say the same because of the bullpen, because how much the bullpen struggled in close games during that early portion of the year. When Bender calls comes up, you know what happened next. He started his career with an outstanding streak of scoreless innings. What if Bender was there from the beginning? How many of those close games could have potentially turned the other way? I should say the close losses could have turned into wins for the Marlins early in the year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it made at least one win of difference, maybe two wins of difference early on for a team that was never above the 500 mark, would they have potentially been able to creep over that mark early in the season? How much does that affect everything else? I think that was worthy of inclusion uh, in this episode as we focus on five huge what-ifs about the 2021 Marlins season. A third one to get to. Fast forward to the trade deadline on deadline day, which was July 30th this year. What if the Marlins had traded Max Meyer for Brandon Marsh? That's an interesting question. It's been talked about a lot. That's an interesting question. This is the one rumor that I'm indulging because we have a pretty detailed report from Craig Mish and the Miami Herald about how it was, quote, close to happening. It was close between the Marlins and the Angels, the Marlins potentially trading their 2020 first-round draft pick, who at that point had been performing very well at AA Pensacola, for Brandon Marsh, who had just debuted recently at the major league level after doing great at AAA. Marsh, at the time being, I believe, just about, really approximately the same age. What made this so enticing is that it, it really is a rare challenge trade that you don't see often in baseball with shades of Jazz Chisholm for Zach Gallen a couple years prior. Within the Marlins community, I would say that the slight majority of people were actually turned off by that idea as if that would be an overpay. But I can tell you the industry consensus is that Marsh 
was the more valuable player. One, just being a position player over a pitcher and having less of those injury concerns. And just the other about his really diverse and sexy skill set. Somebody that we saw in the big leagues. So his overall numbers as a big leaguer, as it would turn out by the end of the year, uh, in 70 games, a slash line of 254, 317, 356. A below average hitter, for sure. Um, and with only two home runs in all those games. You, d- you dive deeper, and he was right at the top of the scale in how hard he hit the ball. 52.1% hard hit percentage, according to StatCast. There was a huge batting average on balls in play that actually inflated the numbers over what you would expect. A 403 BABIP, which, again, was about as high as you could get and usually indicative of some good luck going in your favor. But the, the way that he impacts the ball... The max, in, the max exit velocity that he has, which is far above average for major league players, it points to the fact that there is some real power here. That even against major league pitching, he was hitting for real power and sometimes getting the results in, in the form of singles and likely getting the results in terms of extra base hits as the years go by. A turnoff with him is the strikeout rate, 35% strikeout rate. You look across baseball, there was not, there hasn't been a single qualified big league hitter over the course of a full season that makes a 35% strikeout rate work. The reason why the Marlins would even float Meyer in these trade conversations is interesting. After they selected him higher up than most people expected him to go during that 2022, during that 2020 draft at the number three overall pick. Uh, I mean, one reason why is, I guess, presumably feeling that he's not quite 100% big league ready yet which kind of matches with my own interpretation. He's got a good fastball command. He's got an incredible slider, and the changeup is still a work in progress, even that deep into the year, even at the end of the year, as well as he finished it off strong at Pensacola and then moved up to uh, the AAA level. Meyer had an outstanding year of performance overall and some flashes of actual development, 22 starts, 111 innings, a 2.27 ERA with 130 strikeouts in those 111 innings and doing a good job keeping the ball on the ballpark. And the pitch to Zoik, swing and a miss, breaking ball in the outside corner, strike three. That's 10 strikeouts, a career high for Max Meyer. As encouraging a year as that was, there's still some limitations with him, some questions about whether or not He's definitively going to stick as a starter at the major major league level or shift into a relief role. And above all else, we know that the Marlins have, even now, as I'm recording this and c- coming off a couple of trades that they have made to use their starting pitching depth, that overall their organization depth at the major league level and in the high minors combined is outstanding. Few organizations can feel as good about the future of their starting rotation no individual guy, except for maybe Sandy Alcantara at the top of the chain. Nobody else is is, is really going to hurt all that much if you trade them away from an impactful player at another position of need. So that trade did not get done. I would, uh, as, as far as we know, it does seem that the, the Angels were the ones who backed out, who may have been looking for something more than Meyer alone in that exchange. It wouldn't have been as simple as a one-for-one trade. But putting my trust in Craig Mish that he believes this was extremely serious, that there was a willingness on 
the behalf of both teams to make a trade that was centered around these players, and it didn't go through. There's still a chance, of course, that Meyer gets traded later this offseason for another major league-ready outfielder, and if not this offseason, potentially in the future, it's still a whole lot of consequences coming out of that. If the Marlins had acquired Marsh, and presumably they would have placed him directly in the big leagues during the second half of the season, does that mean they don't make the separate trade for Brian Dela Cruz? Dela Cruz outperformed Marsh during that same amount of time in the big leagues in August and September. Would they have picked Marsh over DLC? How different would uh, Marsh's performance be down the stretch if he were playing in a very pitcher-friendly Lone Depot Park as compared to the Angels Stadium, which is closer to neutral? And how would that impact their search for outfielders this offseason? If Marsh had done well down the stretch, how does that impact how much they invest in veteran outfielders? All that stuff. There was a, a whole lot of ripple effects just in these past couple months, but more so, this is a huge what-if for 2022 and beyond. Two more what-ifs I want to cover here. What if the Marlins had extended Starling Marte? That's an interesting question. It's been talked about a lot. That's an interesting question. They reportedly had some back and forth for a couple weeks in July, and then coming out of the All-Star break, still no deal. That's when it became unfortunately clear that he was not going to stay with the team through the rest of the season, that they were going to trade him, and that it was going to make it extremely difficult for them to re-sign him in free agency. As we know later, the Marlins were very interested in even signing him back in free agency once he landed on the open market, by then making an offer of four years, over $60 million guaranteed, and yet they chickened out of making that same commitment to him during the regular season negotiations. If they had simply been willing to give him a four-year deal when these teams were talk when they were talking with him while he was still under the team's control, that should have gotten the deal done. Instead, the way that Marte performed down the stretch with Oakland, uh, nearly finishing with the highest batting average in baseball, finishing with by far the most stolen bases in baseball, that these things reinforce the belief that he could be a starting caliber center fielder for a team moving forward despite his age. And the Mets were the team that was convinced by that and ended up giving him a four-year, $78 million deal. At that amount, you can sort of understand why the Marlins didn't want to go that far, that they understood that there was a considerable amount of risk at that price. And to be clear, there still is a whole lot of risk involved here. Uh, you could point to examples every single offseason where we see a player get what the industry considers a fair amount or a player gets underpaid, and there's a strong opinion that the team made a smart move, and yet uh, the success rate on those moves for these big free agents is really not much better than a coin flip. So it is possible that 2021 proves to be Marte's last year as an elite player, that he begins declining immediately, or that he simply is unable to stay on the field due to durability concerns, or that his defense slips very suddenly, and by the time we get to the second year of the contract, he is no longer an option in center field, and he has to exclusively contribute as a corner spot, which makes him less valuable. This has fascinating consequences for the next four years because he stays in the division. 
the Mets and the Marlins, assuming the schedule format stays the same as it has been recently, 19 head-to-head meetings between them. A decent chance if both teams had made the playoffs in future years that they could end up meeting in the postseason. Uh, Marte is going to have a very big impact on directly in head-to-head competition on how the Marlins contend during this window that they believe is opening up even without him. But now going head-to-head with him, there's it's fascinating. Of course, if they had extended him and they didn't trade him at the deadline, then they don't get Jesus Lazardo from Oakland. That turned out to be the return they got at the deadline. And Lazardo, moving into 2022, projected to be at the back end of their rotation and certainly has the potential to be more than a back end starter. If they don't, if they extend Marte, then they don't have Lazardo. Uh, so far, the overall re- results for Lazardo were disappointing down the stretch of the 2021 season. It, it turns out, it may turn out that. He's nothing more than a replacement level arm. Or it could turn out that he's a star. And we could be looking at this five years from now saying, all right, you know, they ultimately, they dodged a bullet in not extending Marte if Luzardo turns out to be the more valuable player over these next handful of years. It's, yeah, all of it is a whole lot of ripple effects. Going back to Brian De La Cruz, as I mentioned on the previous point, maybe they still trade for Brian De La Cruz, but there's no room for him to play down the stretch if Marte is still a Marlin, and they keep DLC at AAA for most of the rest of the season, and we're feeling very differently about DLC at this point than we are in reality, seeing what he had done over the final third of the regular season at the Major League level. And... Ultimately, ultimately, looking at the record that the Marlins finished with, if Marte had been the similar player in Miami down the stretch as he was with Oakland, they probably win more games than they actually did. And potentially that could have changed the draft order. They could have moved down in the draft order um, or they could have finished with the record at a certain number. I know a lot of people were fixated on hopefully this being a 70-win team and uh, how much that may have done for the psyche of the fan base if they'd reached that number. Would Marte have been able to make that three wins of difference down the stretch? It's unlikely, but not totally inconceivable, depending on how he did in high leverage situations. Uh, another ripple effect, I think the number was a tiny bit higher that if the Marlins had reached 71 wins. That was kind of the break-even point on the over-unders for their win totals that were set by sports books entering the year. That a lot of money could have changed hands otherwise if this team had finished a few wins higher up in the standings and, and hit that magic number. I know for one, Peter Pratt, uh, our Locked On Marlins, Fish Across the Pond host, he was a guy that put his money where his mouth was about the Marlins going over that win total. So he would have a little bit more for his Christmas shopping at this moment, perhaps if Marte had been a Marlin down the stretch and performed the way that we were accustomed to him performing as a Marlin. A whole lot going on there, and one that as much as it may have changed about the end of the 2021 season, even much heavier ramifications for the next few years because he is staying in the Marlins division. Finally, after the regular season ended, so this is fast-forwarding all the way to October, what if J.J. Blade didn't go to the Arizona Fall League? That's an interesting question. It's been talked about a lot. That's an interesting question. He was one of the eight players. It turned out to be nine prospects that the Marlins sent to the Arizona Fall League this year. 
to get extra reps to work on particular parts of their game and ultimately to catch the attention of other scouts and organizations. The Arizona Fall League is a very fascinating place, and the decision to choose who to send to the Fall League is especially so. Kim Ang even admitted as much about going through a long process over a number of weeks within the front office deciding which of the limited number of spots on the Mesa Solar Sox the Marlins wanted to allocate to particular players, that they had to decide which of these players would benefit most or really um, how the organization would benefit most by sending particular players to the Fall League. And some of the key signs that you usually look for when making these calls is, one, if players had missed time with injury during the regular season, this is an opportunity for them to make up for lost reps that they had. And then the other is if the player is coming up on Rule 5 draft eligibility. If it's a player that needs to be protected on the 40-man roster immediately after the fall league ends, and whether or not that player is a potential trade candidate as well, entering that critical juncture of their career. So with Blade, he did not check either of those boxes. He was healthy, as far as we know, during the regular season. He played in nearly every game that the AA Pensacola Blue Wahoos played this year, had over 460-something played appearances during the regular season. He got a lot of reps. It was the longest baseball season of his life to this point. And he is still another year away from that Rule 5 decision. Having been drafted out of college in 2019, he is not Rule 5 eligible until December of 2022. And yet, he was somebody that, if you were paying close attention, he did improve a little as the regular season was winding down. As much as a disappointment it was overall, he did finish relatively close to being a league average hitter in the AA South, a 97 weighted runs created plus, where 100 represents league average. This was an opportunity for him to build upon that, to work with Phil Plantier, who is a highly regarded Marlins coach in the organization, who likes to has a good track record of getting the most out of hitters. They sent him there. And as you know, Blade lit the world on fire. He was named the co-hitter of the year of the Arizona Fall League. He contributes to a team that ultimately won the Arizona Fall League championship. And so Blade, his numbers from the Fall League in 24 games, a 1,035 OPS, quadruple digits, 24 runs batted in in those 24 games, nearly as many walks as strikeouts. And in 115 played appearances. So it was a thoroughly impressive showing. More than a few people uh, that I respect had their opinions changed by the way that Blade performed. That they believe that this really, um, this really solidified his standing as being one of the better outfield prospects in baseball, one of the better hitting prospects in the Marlins organization. This is a very talented young man who just kind of lost his way this year, and he was able to come out here and I think feels much more like himself. He smacks that pitch to deep center, riding back, and gone! J.J. Blade muscles up for two and ties the game. He was impacting the ball better. His discipline was outstanding. I think he even played a little center field when he was out there. Yes, six games in center field in addition to usually playing left field for Mesa during that showing. His stock went up. And what if he did not go to the Fall League? What if the Marlins used those limited spots on other players? What if they used a spot on someone like Connor Scott, 
who they ended up trading to the Pirates. Connor Scott missed time during the regular season, and he had an extra year of pro experience under his belt at this point. How would things be different if they went with any number of different directions, putting somebody instead of Blade? If Blade finishes his first full year in minor league baseball with just his double-A results, how do they view him differently going into the offseason? How do other teams view him differently? An example is the trade that they made with the Tampa Bay Rays to acquire Joey Wendell, a one-for-one trade giving up Cameron Meisner. Now, depending who you ask, I know for certain somebody like Alex Carver, our friend at Fish on the Farm, he was more bullish about Meisner's potential than Blade. And I don't think he was entirely alone in that aspect. Anyway, you slice it, their stocks were fairly close to one another as early round picks from the same draft class with some interesting tools and a different amount of risk, but similar proximity to the big leagues as well, where both of them potentially could be debuting by the end of the 2022 season. The Marlins, in making that trade, prioritized somebody in Joey Wendell who could help them win games right now. If Blade doesn't go to the fall league, he doesn't impress as much as he did, if the Marlins feel a little bit differently about him because of that absence of data, do they trade him instead of Meisner for Joey Wendell? Do they reformat that trade a little bit to get an extra piece along with Wendell in exchange for Blade? So this is another one where, yeah, we don't know any of the ramifications right now, and we might not really know them next year either. It might really need to be to 2023 when Blade is presumably solidified as an, an everyday player, whether or not it's a good player or not, seeing you know how he goes from here and w- whether that fall league performance was a real jumping off point in him being the great all-around hitter that he was forecasted to be coming out of Vanderbilt or whether it was just a blip and he doesn't actually carry it over as he, face, as he faces more advanced pitching at AAA and then in the major leagues. To recap, what if the 2021 season was played with a universal DH? What if Anthony Bender had made the opening day roster? What if the Marlins had traded Max Meyer for Brandon Marsh? What if the Marlins had extended Starling Marte? And what if J.J. Blade didn't go to the Arizona Fall League? Those are the ones I'll be thinking about. As mentioned up top, excluded anything related to injuries or COVID or any rumors that were very shallow, any of the rumors that didn't have a whole lot of legs to them, uh, I, I felt weren't worth focusing on. But I, all five of these felt had huge ramifications either on the current season or they will on upcoming seasons. If I missed any, if there are any that really jump out to you under these conditions, I want to hear about it too because this was an important year in the organization. As much as it was a disappointing year, it was important. Every single full-length season is extremely important to where the organization goes from here, both on an individual level and a team level. A lot of fun content planned for you on Fish Stripes as we close down the year. Our next episode of Marlins Jeopardy coming up at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. We hope you tune in and participate in that moving into the new year as we interact with fans in a brand new way, bringing them on as contestants for that Jeopardy show as part of our Fish Stripes Live series. Daily articles almost every single day on fishstripes.com analyzing the 
current state of the organization as well as looking back at some historical decisions and projecting forward we we got it covered at all angles and it's it's been an interesting challenge to remain stimulated during the lockout but it only gets easier i think we're getting over the hump of boredom so we we appreciate everybody that enjoys our content and advises us where to go next we have plenty more quality stuff planned out and we're excited to listen to what you have to say and what you think the Marlins should do next as we slowly, slowly build up to the 2022 Marlins season. One more episode of the official show coming up next week before we turn the calendar. So we hope you turn in, tune into that too. I appreciate the support. This has been Eli Sussman for Fish Stripes. As always, go fish. Go fish.